handle the truth. Should we or should we not follow the advice of the galactically stupid? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. You're all a bunch of fucking assholes. You know why? You don't have the guts to be what you want to be. You need people like me. You need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say, that's the bad guy. Clearly, don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. to another episode of the Righteous Brick Podcast. I'm your host, J.L. Covan. It is 6.51 a.m. on the East Coast on August 23rd, in the year of our Lord, 2021. I have been up since 3.40 a.m., so I thought, why not give my loyal listeners a little sample of Insomniac J.L., okay? Uh, yeah, I woke up at 3.40. I had a good night's sleep last night. My nephew uh, slept over in the guest room, and I don't know if it was that sense of having having family nearby or if I was just exhausted or what reason I had for a rare night of peace of mind, but I slept like seven hours, which was uh, remarkable and, uh, well, m- much needed. So I went to bed last night uh, with that big REM sleep energy, confidence and uh i've been trying to you know i i, I go divide i've decided that my screen time tv phone etc will end at 10 p.m each night so if you're looking forward to late night tweets from me sorry but i'm doing some self-care right now and uh shut off the screens at 10 got in bed read uh went to sleep at 11 Woke up in uh, borderline panic at about 2.45 a.m. And then about 3.15, Cookie strolled over to my side of the bed, as she does usually in the middle of the night. And I said, I jolted and then said, hey, Cookie, and then pet her. And uh, I don't know if she's disturbed or if she senses disturbance in me. But uh, I do like the fact that my dog, uh, for all her flaws and for all my flaws, views me as sort of the strong protector and when she's nervous about something, she just follows me around. She tries to hide under my legs. It's nice to feel, like, uh, useful. So thank you, Cookie, for that. Thank you because of your debilitating cowardice uh, wrought from a an early puppyhood of abuse. Uh, not at my hands, but at whoever had her before me. Uh, it's nice you, you validate me a little bit. So, Cookie, if you're listening to this podcast, thank you. And by the way, Cookie is... Uh, not here. You're not going to hear her clickety-clacking. I'm in the uh, the office guest room, door closed, so the only person who can possibly hear me is my neighbor, uh, But uh, and I hope not because this is the room that I conduct my Zoom therapy sessions in, so uh, boy, do they know all the honest tea, uh, sponsored brand of tea that I spill. Uh, no, I don't have sponsors. Come on. Um, but Cookie is right now in the bedroom, just uh, relaxing, I presume, uh, before she gets fed. So you guys, this is, like I said, early morning JL, maybe not the most charismatic JL, but uh, I want you guys to know all sides of me, uh, the energetic miserable side as well as the fatigued miserable side. 
Um, big announcements, folks. I mean, they're all the same. Uh, and, and for whatever reason, my fans uh, want me to sweat out my New York City special recording. Uh, so I appreciate every one of you who is uh, not pulling the trigger on buying tickets. But as of this recording, we are exactly two months away from my first special recording. So after 18 years in comedy, um, an emotionally uh, roller coaster year last year that saw the resurrection of my career to heights it's never been to before. Yeah, a new, spe- a first special taping a seventh album, not a big deal at all, obviously. Um, no, huge deal, guys, in case any of my fans don't get sarcasm, which I'm guessing, not the people listening to this podcast, but trust me, out there, many fans don't get it. Um, but slate of shows coming up, and for uh, my listeners who are in the Salt Lake City area, um, the Utah Jazz have released their schedule. I've sent a couple of dates that I'm requesting from the venue in Utah. I am not doing Wise Guys, which is the club in, in Utah. I wanted to, but I just uh, felt the offer I felt was disrespectful, plain and simple. Uh, the person has to run a business. They run it how they want, and I am free to interpret offers how I want, and I found the offer to be a horrific lowball of an offer. Um especially when you consider traveling across the country is not cheap. <clears throat> so instead, I've found a, a sort of rock venue. Uh, you know, they don't just do rock, but it's like a 300-seater. Um, and, the, you know, unlike the comedy clubs who like to sort of lowball you and deny your existence, uh, this person came out right away, and when I first emailed them, was like, oh, man, your videos were everywhere. Yeah, we'd love to have you. And I was like, right. Every comedy club acts like I, they're like, JL, I'm not sure. Oh, you've worked here four times. We're going to pretend that we've never even heard of you, let alone your rocket ship worth of success in 2020. Uh, We know you've worked here and we saw five articles about you and everybody was sharing your videos. But because uh, you don't have an agent, uh, we would like to offer you um, drink tickets and a butt plug for your pay. Will that be acceptable? No? Well, then that's the best we can do. We need to uh, continue getting bullied by agents, uh, but thank you for giving us an opportunity to bully a comic. So my whole thing was I'd rather work with a venue that, you know, I just, I don't want to, uh, there, there's a little bit of value in not being disrespected by venues. So uh, hopefully this week I will line up a Salt Lake City show, which will be bookended, hopefully, by multiple jazz home games. That was basically my criteria, is like, what week has multiple jazz home games? So I can go to Utah for like three or four days, see two games, uh, spend any and all money I'm going to earn in Utah in the gift shop, film a TikTok set to the Pretty wo- set to Pretty Woman by Roy Orbison um, as I shop uh, and get all the gear that I'm always denied because I don't live near a Utah jazz store. And uh, do a show in between and hopefully entertain many people. Um, Try to get some, you know, it'd be nice to lock it up this week because then I could contact uh, possibly a publicist. But I figure between my 2020 of humongous publicity and and reach uh, and the fact that I've been a Utah jazz fan in New York City for 34 years, um, I think that would make a nice fun feature story in the Salt Lake Tribune. So that would be a good... Uh, a good little write-up, and then I will browbeat everyone I've ever had contact with on social media that's from Utah because I'm a Utah Jazz fan and say, you have to go, you have to tell your friends to go, you have to get this, and then I'm going to, last thing is try to get Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert to go to the show um, because it'll be on an off night during a homestand, and that will be perfect. I'll go, what else are you doing tonight, fellas? It's a 7.30 show. You can be in bed by your you know, trainer mandated ten fifteen for your nine hours of sleep for, for rest. Uh, so I have a whole plan for Utah, but that uh, will hopefully be scheduled um, this week, I hope. Uh, but shows that are actually scheduled, and also I contacted a club in L.A. that I've worked before. Of course, they haven't gotten back to me yet, um, par for the course. But uh, trying to get a lineup an early 2022 show in L.A. And then that will be the anchor through which I then look for a venue in San Francisco and then possibly as far north as Seattle. But I'd like to obviously in 2022 when my either my employment changes or my vacation resets, do a nice West Coast trip to see everybody perform, uh, get out there for all those 
very positive and supportive West Coast fans. But shows that are currently scheduled, not hypotheticals, uh, just booked the Greensboro, North Carolina Comedy Zone. I will be there on September 10th and 11th. Never forget. Um, so that was just added. They had a vacancy, and uh, it's not the pay I want, but uh, the exception to getting the pay I want is when I have a special recording less than two months away, I will take uh, any gig that will prof make me a profit and give me uh, 200 minutes of stage time over four shows to, to work out my material and uh, to get the flow going. So, all these ticket links, by the way, are on my website, jlcomedy.com slash calendar, but Greensboro, Comedy Zone, North Carolina, September 10th and 11th, Helium in Philadelphia, September 26th, uh, Good Nights in Raleigh, North Carolina, October 6th, the special taping in New York City, two shows, 7 and 9.30, October 23rd at the Triad Theater, um, and then, like I said, trying to book uh, for November uh, or December Salt Lake. And then for early 2022, I'm hoping to get a um, – I really thought I'd have a tour this year. So disappointing. Um, we are a year – we are now a year and a half basically away from me blowing up. And, uh, you know, all I have to show for it is fewer gigs than in 2019. So I've said that before. I won't lament it anymore. But I believe the comedy industry is a fucking hellhole. Um, and I think most comedians are, uh, pandering, uh, pandering pieces of shit from hell. So, but other than that, uh, it's a true blessing to be part of this comedy community. Uh, <laughs> um, I did have a gig, a private gig on Friday in Margate city, New Jersey, which is, uh, basically shares the same Island as Atlantic city. Um, and we're going to get into that. That's a teaser folks. Because uh, that is going to be the crux of this episode. I'm going to make some uh, some some recommendations, one critique in comedy, of course, and then I'll describe that show for you. Because I know from people who saw my posts on social media after it, knowing that it did not go well, were eager to hear a full and robust recap. Um, but as far as let's start with some positivity, some recommendations of stuff. Uh, just finished this morning during my insomnia. I woke up, uh, like I said, at, uh, I got out of bed at 3:40. Made some coffee, watched John Oliver, and uh, then finished the book The Sum of Us by Heather McGee. Excellent book. Highly recommend. Um, basically just a, uh, a look at uh, the, the gist of the book is how um, racism that has uh, befallen black people in this country um, eventually begins to hurt all people. And if you ignore the canary in the coal mine on so many issues of how black people have been hurt uh, in this country on so many fronts, then eventually you, you miss it when it comes to, or it's too late once it comes uh, on, on uh, majority communities. Really good book, really well written. Oh, yeah, I, I was recommending it last week. I just remembered. I'm a little tired. Um, but I, uh, it, was, uh, it was a really good read. Uh, so I recommend that. Uh, now I'm back to the Jimmy Carter book. Hopefully we'll finish that. And then I'm going to read uh, the week of the U.S. Open. When I go to the U.S. Open for a couple of matches that week, I will read Jimmy Connors' biography. But I think I already said that to you last week. If you're keeping up on JL's Reading Rainbow. By the way, speaking of Reading Rainbow, um, if LeVar Burton doesn't get the job hosting Jeopardy, then George Floyd died in vain. Okay, I just wanted to make that public service announcement. That is, uh, that is me being a lazy ally. Uh, <laughs> no, um, it is uh, what a weird, what a weird thing. The obsession with Lavar Burton getting Jeopardy from everybody who's messaged me and people I've seen comment on it that are like Jeopardy fans. They're like, I'd like to see somebody like LeVar Burton get it, but they're like, but he did do a, ho a guest host week and he was just okay. <laughs> and people have just, uh, it reminds me a little of the Lupita Nyong'o fascination, which I remember commenting on uh, many years ago when she got nominated and then won for Best Supporting Actress at the Oscars for 12 Years a Slave. 
the Hollywood press and every Hollywood, it became this thing where you just had to, you were like, oh my God, Lupita Nyong'o, I love her. She's so beautiful. It became this just like exotic fetishization by like white celebrities and the media. And then it was like, oh, you love her? And I remember saying this. I was like, okay, let's see what roles she gets now. It's becoming very like, it's, it, was, it was the trust black women before trust black women. And, and of course, her next role was as a flight attendant in a Leon Mason movie. And then her next role was as a voiceover for a Star Wars movie. And it wasn't until, um, it wasn't until I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it wasn't until Jordan Peele. Uh, oh, no. Yes, Jordan Peele and Ryan Coogler, two black filmmakers, gave her humongous platforms for her talent. Um, especially us. She should have been nominated for Best Actress, possibly one, didn't. But uh, that was a great performance. But in, in other words, all that, I love Lupita New. Oh, my God, Lupita. Not afraid of pretending to love black women. Uh, there it is, Ron Reagan uh, coming out of the coming out of the dusting off the sleepiness to, to make an appearance on this week's podcast. Um, but it wasn't until two black filmmakers gave her high profile on camera roles that it was like, Oh yes. Now, now, now she's elevating. Uh, it only took five years post, uh, her Oscar win to kind of get the elevation that you would expect an Oscar win and a fawning Hollywood community to give her. And the LeVar Burton thing feels kind of like that. Like it, it's become this easy thing. Like, and, and obviously I got cracked on on Facebook, but I think most people get what I was saying. It wasn't about like, fuck LeVar Burton, not at all. It's about fuck everybody who's just like decided this is like the shorthand quick way of being like, I'm an ally. And uh, why did we even pick a white guy to do it when we had LeVar Burton there? Like LeVar, okay, why? How is it? <laughs> it was just funny. I was like, so LeVar Burton is just like, went from he'd like to host Jeopardy to the if he doesn't host Jeopardy, we should burn down our our nearest CVS. <laughs> and it was it was mostly white people saying it, um, and uh, I just found it very funny and weird how it just went for I'd like Lavar Burton to it obviously should be Lavar Burton hosting, and any other decision is a fucking disgrace, and I'm not going to stand for it. Um, weird. I could give a shit who hosts Jeopardy, and I could especially, like, it just, it's, but it, I think you get what I'm saying, how it reminded me of this kind of, like, <laughs> I'm going to get social media ally points immediately if I just defiantly declare, like, if I get way too invested in LeVar Burton hosting Jeopardy, then I'm going to get retweets and uh, instant ally credit. Very bizarre. Um uh, so yeah, that's my take on, uh, as I joked on Twitter and I don't know how many people got, it, I said, LeVar Ball should be hosting, uh, <laughs> LeVar Ball should be hosting Jeopardy. Um, but yeah, that's my, my hot take on LeVar Burton. Um, people who've probably never seen Roots, Star Trek or Reading Rainbow and don't watch Jeopardy have officially weighed in. Um, with with their LeVar Burton vote. Anyway, let's talk about more positive recommendations. Uh, I watched The Falcon and the Winter Soldier on Disney+. Plus. Loved it. Um, WandaVision, which got all the nominations at the Emmys. Uh, I think the nominations for WandaVision were based on the strength of the first, like, four episodes, which were very creative and interesting and funny, um, and then the show kind of lost me. I mean, I finished it, but I got kind of bored once it became like, okay, now it's just like, we're back to like government and superheroes and like trying, yeah, it was just, it, it reverted back to like typical Marvel that I don't care about. Um, like tertiary characters just doing regular stuff, but it was those first few episodes that I think really grabbed people's attention and probably was the strength of the show that got it all the nominations. So I, I can respect that. Um, but Winter Soldier, Falcon and Winter Soldier, I watched going like, well, I just want to watch this, you know, and then because I want to watch Loki. I definitely wanted to watch Loki. So that's actually why I watched WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier, because I was like, well, let's yeah, who knows if they'll be connected or whatever, if there'll be little loose strands. So I might as well just watch them in order. So WandaVision I thought was fine, but overrated. Um, overall, 
I thought it started super strong, and then I, by the end, I was like, well, I don't really care anymore. Falcon and Winter Soldier was excellent. Uh, I think it's the best, um, the best Marvel show since Daredevil season one on Netflix. Uh, I thought it was outstanding uh, from start to finish, so I was very happy with that. The funny thing to me is they nominated Don Cheadle for best guest actor. He is in a two-minute scene in the first episode. And it's not like a particularly gut-wrenching. It's not like he has some emotional death scene or something. It was just like he's having a conversation, I think, at a museum. And that was it. Then he's gone from the whole series. And they nominated him for Best uh, Guest Actor. Meanwhile, there was this older black man who did nothing but bring intensity and passion and emotion to his, like, three scenes over two or three episodes. And watching it, I was just like, um, once again, the Hollywood community that loves LeVar Burton and Lupita Nyong'o, did they accidentally give Don Cheadle a nomination because they couldn't bother to figure out the name of the clear actor who was supposed to get the guest actor nomination? And for anybody who's seen Falcon and Winter Soldier, I'm sorry, it's painfully obvious. Like I was watching it going, wow, this old man is really good. He's like really like delivering a strong performance. Like, and every scene he gets is kind of like a night is like a, a chance to hit a home run. Cause he's like this older man who's it's, it's very, it is just, it was just, I don't want to call it Emmy bait. Cause I don't think it was, I don't think they were thinking, Oh, with these A-listers, we'll get this older man who people may not know. We're going to really gear an Emmy campaign around him. But when you watch the series, I kept waiting for Don Cheadle to show up again because I was like, well, he must have something else if he, if he got nominated for an Emmy. Nope. Two minutes on screen in a mundane scene. Meanwhile, older black actor with three scenes uh, registering a 9.8 out of 10 on the sort of emotional and power scale. Nothing. So uh, LeVar Burton, Lupita Nyong'o, Don Cheadle. There it is. Hollywood supporting black people. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it was, but it's awesome. Uh, I th really thought Falcon and Winter Soldier was, was awesome from start to finish. So I was, I was very happy with that and pleasantly surprised because I was kind of watching it begrudgingly. Like, well, I, I really want to get to Loki. So let's see what this one's about. So uh, that's a recommendation. And then I watched two movies this weekend. Um, for Rotten Oranges, the Patreon movie review show I do as Trump as part of the Making Podcasts Great Again podcast universe. Um, Val, about Val Kilmer, the documentary about Val Kilmer, from, pulled largely from, from his own home videos. Uh, very, uh, very good movie. Um, pretty, you know, somewhat emotional, uh, somewhat sad. Uh, I, I do recommend if you are a Patreon subscriber to Making Podcasts Great Again, you check out Trump's review of that because it's pretty damn funny. But it's, um, you know, it's it's sort of a bittersweet. It's like a hopeful tragedy, maybe, because like he's had some health issues and he's, you know, it's just you see a guy so handsome with like a nice voice who who had talent and, uh, you know, he still has he still has his kids. He still has some money. He still has fame. He still has like he got rid of cancer, but like the guy can barely speak and has to eat via feeding tube. So it's, uh, you know, and he's very honest. I think it's not one of those. I, d I rediscovered the simple joys in life and life continues and, and there's a reason to move on. It's like mixed, you know, he's, he's, he's battling demons and like finding optimism and trying to find hope, but you know, it's up and down. And I thought it was very honest in that it wasn't just some linear, like I was at a low point, but then through the strength of, and love of my family and perspective, I just, I, I, today is a brighter day than yesterday. It was like mixed. It was kind of like, I get depressed, but then I'm actually grateful at the end of the day. So it's like, it was, I, I thought it was really a good movie, a solid, uh, movie to watch. That's on Amazon prime and in theaters, I believe. And then I saw suicide squad, which is the other movie I reviewed for making podcasts great again. And, uh, started out promising and then just went too long. I felt like a, mo a movie like that, that with that tone 
needs to be like 95 minutes. It was just too, it was too long. I asked, I found myself just kind of being like, can this end? Like even like, and I, I thought, I thought it was pretty good. I, I liked, like I said, I liked the first 40 minutes of it and gave me hope that it was going to be a really strong movie. But what I will say is we got to tone down the violence. I'm sorry. We've got to just tone it down. It's too much. Um, I feel like porn and violence, um, there's this never ending violence in movies and then porn in porn. Uh, there's this never ending quest to sort of go dirtier, more brutal, more, uh, keep topping yourself, like keep topping taboos and keep going. And it's just, there's, it's a, it's diminishing returns after a while. Um, I don't have to get into pornography, but I, I've often joked. I was like, are we going to, are we going to reach peak porn? Like, have we, is there going to be a point where it's like, um, yeah, it's gone too far. It's too far now. Now we need to scale it back. We do some retro porn, more, more plot, more romance, a little less fisting, choking and, and gangbanging. Maybe at some point we got to scale it back. And with violence in movies, it's sort of the same thing to me. It's like, I saw this movie called, I think it was called Terrifier. It was uh, about like, like some really scary looking fucking clown. Um, but it was a brutal sort of cultish um, horror movie. And the reason I watched it was on Netflix. And uh, a friend who'd been in some of my sketches, who's an actor, he, was, he had like a, a decent role in it. So I said, I'll watch it. I'll show some support. And it did look kind of creepy. And this villain really was creepy as fuck. Um, and uh, kudos to the people who, you know, imagined him and did the makeup. I, I think uh, it's the kind of villain that could have used a bigger, a bigger budget film, could have become sort of a bigger deal. But in the movie, spoiler, there's a scene where, uh, you know, and I think this is par for the course for sort of your cult underground horror movies, you know, your Fangoria types, where a woman is, uh, what's that called, where somebody's like, was spread in four. Like in other words, her hands are bound above her, like spread out and her legs are spread out. And the villain has kidnapped her and then chainsaws her from the vagina up. As you can imagine, very brutal, very disgusting. Well, in like three short years or four short years, that's like now mainstream because I watched this movie Freaky, which I think I discussed last week with Vince Vaughn. Um, and one of the girls from Blockers or Women, I guess she was a woman now, but you know, she played a teenage girl in both movies. So I character as a girl. Um, and, uh, that move is basically done on a teacher in that movie, a buzzsaw, um, from the, from the, from the crotch to the head slices the, the teacher in half. And I thought, wow, this is like a mainstream movie that was in theaters starring Vince Vaughn. And we've already gone to that as just like, now that's going to be a move in a horror comedy, like a brutal, uh, dick, dick to scalp, uh, splitting. That's pretty, pretty out there. And so watching Suicide Squad, I just found myself going, I guess we're just going to go with the whole, let's totally desensitize people to violence at this point. Like it, it was super, super violent to the point where I go, I don't, maybe I'm getting older. I never was into like super duper gore. And it's even why I found John Wick three disappointing relative to John Wick one and two, whereas one and two was just mainly like double tap to the head. Now it was like stabbing people in the eye and slowly ripping people's throats and stuff. It was just like, it was almost like, well, we've got to top it in violence. We've got to keep topping it. And to me, it gets the diminishing returns. So suicide squad was like a whatever to me. Um, if I wasn't reviewing it for the podcast, I probably would have skipped it, but, um, you know, some people may differ in, in their opinion, but it was, uh, to me too violent and too long. And I know it's, and, but I do enjoy Viola Davis. I will say this. I say this all the time. Viola Davis to me is more believable when she's acting than when she's being interviewed. Um, she's an incredible actress and an incredibly annoying interview. <laughs> <laughs> like I believe her in every, well, I hated, I, I, I tried to watch how to get away with murder. 
I tried to watch the pilot. I made it 10 minutes because the the show re- literally begins with like a zoom in where she says the show title. And I was like, nope, I'm out. Um, but in all her movies, I've always found her to be incredibly believable, incredibly talented. And then whenever I see her interviewed, I'm like, why are you acting so hard in this interview? <laughs> I don't believe the real Viola Davis, but I believe every character she portrays. So great talent, annoying interview. And she, of course, was good in Suicide Squad. And I like just seeing she like brings it every time. Like she's in a comedy, but she's not the comedy part. She's just she brings she brings her A plus game. Um, and there's some funny parts like I get it. It's, it's it's escapist and it's not like a horribly made movie by any means. But I just thought it was too long and. I'm just tired of like the ripping people open and bashing skulls in kind of stuff, which just is like enough already. But I think it's here to stay. And like I said, Terrifier was the first time I'd ever seen someone get uh, sliced open from the crotch to the head. And then a few years later, it's in a mainstream um, horror comedy. So uh, we're doing great, society. (laughs) Um. And then, okay, and my one comedy complaint of the week, and then we'll get to Margate City. Take me down to Margate City where the shows fucking suck and you're... Nobody thinks you're witty. I want to kill myself. That was a little horrible Guns N' Roses cover, folks. Margate City where the crowds are dumb and the comedy's shitty. (laughs) Oh, won't you please take me home? Um, and the righteous girlfriend was at the show and it just felt like, uh, if I had to describe what that show felt like with the righteous girlfriend in attendance, cause she drove, um, cause if I drove, I would have gotten in a car crash and died cause I'm not a good driver. Um, it felt like, you know, in Braveheart at the end, spoiler, where Mel Gibson is getting, uh, castrated or disemboweled i never understood which was happening but i'm guessing it had something to do with his cock and balls or his intestines something down there um and i think like the princess who he'd had like an affair with or something is like hearing him scream and like a tear runs down her cheek if i'm remembering this correctly and it was kind of like that (laughs) it was kind of like when Arya stark uh, witnesses her father get beheaded. That's what it felt like at this gig. But we'll get to that in a second. One complaint, because I see a lot of celebrities on Twitter, and it it, bo- it bothers me to my core, um, because, God, I really, unfortunately, care deeply about comedy. Um, and I feel like we're entering this really bad stage where between COVID and changing standards and internet versus live performance, where people including celebrities. Celebrities are not immune from having mundane, bad comedy opinions. But if you, if you do the, the, I joked on Twitter yesterday, I said, if you, the, the Arnold Schwar- Arnold Schwarzenegger impressions used to be ubiquitous. They are so annoying. I had a really good one early in my career, but they were so overdone that like even a good, it's the same, similar to my Trump impression. It's like, there were so many that for some people, even a great impression was sort of lost beneath. Yeah, but there's like 500 of them. I don't even care if yours is amazing. There's just too many. So um, I did an Arnold. That was like the crux of my act for like my first year in comedy. And then I developed an act and moved, moved past it. But to me, for comedy personalities, I don't even want to say comedians, the southern dumb southern christian generic character is the arnold schwarzenegger impression for people who can't do impressions and i am so tired of seeing people both famous not famous just sharing the this is great parody and it's like hey (laughs) y'all i'm taking horse tranquilizers and I'm stupid, y'all, because my Bible teaches me to do that. So y'all take care now. I'm going to the MAGA rally. Hey, y'all, take your hydroxychloroquine and don't put your mask on my baby. 
and people are like, that's an amazing parody. Like, the, le the left, I sound like Don Jr., the left, the radical left. No, the, the, it seems on social media that the, the, va the majority of left-wing folks that seem to enjoy some comedy content, they, they go gaga for two things. Uh, a redneck speaking simple, basic truths. Like, if you're a redneck and you're going, hey, y'all, y'all need to figure out evolution is real y'all and we need to take the vaccine take it from me i'm from a town full of stupid maga people and we need to take that vaccine and stop listening to the right-wing bullies who were just trying to divide and lie to us now there was nothing profound in that but my god if you are a hillbilly if you are a hillbilly piece of trash or at least sound like one and you just say some basic shit left-wing personalities will be like oh my god guys Take two minutes to watch this. Um, my heart ejaculated when I watched this because it was so powerful. So just give this a few minutes and let's help this go viral. And the other one is if you are just doing basic bitch, um, MAGA-like, simple, quote-unquote, comedy. Oh, my God, guys. This parody is amazing. This is amazing parody right here. Um, I hate it. I hate it because it's like, it's like if you went to a baseball game and you were with a friend and you were watching batting practice and your friend watched the batting practice pitcher pitching 70 miles per hour over the plate and was like, that guy might be the best pitcher I've ever seen. <laughs> and you'd be like, uh, no, 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 he's not even really pitching. He's doing the simplest shit possible on a baseball field. He's just got to like lay it over so the hitters can crush it. And, you know, it just feels like, like, like that level of sp is like the comedy that the majority of people kind of want. They want con confirmation, simple confirming humor. That seems to be like what's up. And of course I need needless to say on the other side, you don't even need to be particularly funny anymore on the, like it's always criticized on the left. This is what I, I hate. Both sides seem to not realize that they're doing the same thing, which is like, you know, I, there is some sort of algorithmic reward. And I have seen many a white comic join the bandwagon of like, I'm going to become a freedom warrior and my content is not going to be actually that funny, but it's going to be highly mocking and critical of, of some sort of non-existent left-wing parody and I'll get the social media algorithms to like me. And then like all the uh, disillusioned, angry white people will make me their comedy hero. It's a really weird landscape right now for comedy. Um, yeah, so, which is why you should buy tickets to my half blackface special because the way I'm approaching it is this might be my last major thing in my comedy career. Uh, the industry has not supported me or shown me love for 18 years, so I'm not looking for it. It's kind of rewarding. Um, and I don't know if I said this on the last episode, so apologies if I did. But my, one of my core tenets is I don't believe comedians should make like $20 million or $50 million because there's two things wrong with that. One is um, you will probably apologize very quickly for jokes. You will have no, uh, you know... Uh, if you're on the left, you will apologize. Like I remember Amy Schumer apologizing for a joke that I thought was very funny. And she's like, I'm sorry. But then because her money was too large, she couldn't stand. It made no sense for her to stand by a joke, but she also couldn't afford to stand by a joke because it would like cave the, the life she had built. And I, I, I still thought the joke was funny. Um, but she, you know, and that was her choice. Maybe she did feel bad about it. I don't want to speak for her, but I just felt like, but that was a good, like you told that joke many times and it was a good joke. But okay, it was her joke about like I used to date I used to date Latin guys, but um, but I like consent, um, and of course people yes of course it's offensive like that's you're not denying that but it's like it's a joke, um, like everybody can kind of appreciate at least that that's just an extension of sort of a well known machismo culture, um, but uh, so that's on one side. So if you're a left wing person and you mess up the bag, as they would say. Uh, you, you, you apologize because you, you, the, what's important is that like you're now worth $20 million and you want to maintain that. Whereas to me, if I was, I'm worth not $20 million and I don't give a shit, but if I were worth $20 million, then I'd be like, 
yeah, I'm worth $20 million. So I certainly want to say what I want to say. If I believe in it, I think I'm a good person and a good comedian. So I'm going to let those two things guide my humor. But the flip side is you have people making money on the other side of it, of being like contrarian and angry and bitter and always criticizing the left. And it's like, Oh, you're incentivized to do that. The money is so good on that end, you know, like, you know, the being the comedic ver the comedic equivalent of Tucker Carlson or Laura Ingram or Sean Hannity, there's a lot of money to be made there. So it's like you're incentivized to like, I could do this joke, but I could also just continue to like talk about freedom and making like ridiculous claims about how vaccine mandates are actually racist, even though I've never ever said anything about racism until this moment. Um, I was very, I never spoke up for black lives matter, but now that I have my conservative rallying cry of masks and vaccines suck, I'm going to weaponize black vaccination rates, et cetera, et cetera. So you have people who are like going out of their way to not be funny because the money is not in being funny. It's in attacking the left. So we have a very weird landscape in comedy. And I think the problem is when money gets so big, it shapes the art. Same argument I've had about sound exchange, um, where we're in satellite radio, where it's like, yeah, the incentive is now to make your bits like 90 seconds, just like SoundCloud rappers. You, you, you have generic, horrible sounding music because you want plays. You want lots of plays, so you'll you'll make two minute songs, well, of one verse instead of showcasing your your skills. Everything's electronic, so there's not as much musicianship needed. And uh, you you allow the media that play the art to dictate how you make the art. And like I said, my comedy, I don't want to do a tr an album with, I don't do like many 60-second, 90-second tracks. So I don't want to do an album with 38 tracks. But you'd see a lot of people making more and more tracks, whether or not that's their style, because that's the way to make money. And I think that is a really bad thing for art. So it's a weird, like money really does like I'm seeing it some, some in music and so much in comedy that the money really is corrupting the art. And maybe if it were uh, more egalitarian or easier to make money performing at clubs, which is the way I'd prefer to make my money, maybe you wouldn't have as much of this, but you know, there are money making opportunities by catering to certain opinions and audiences and also to curating your work to maybe be not what you want it to be, but to be what satellite radio wants it to be. And it's just, it's, it's not good, but yeah, I'm so tired of the, um, hi y'all. I'm doing a Southern Christian mega generic person and, uh, y'all are going to call it genius. Uh, it's, and I've seen so many of those. Um, and it's just like, like I said, it's the Arnold Schwarzenegger for people who can't do impressions. It's like, are we like the 93rd person to do white trash, generic white trash MAGA person is still a genius. I don't think so. Um, but then, and then, and then you run into the, the problem of like this, you know, I did it out of necessity, the, the, the Trump videos, but it's one of those things where I'm like, I've written some sketches. I'm hoping to film some in September, like real sketches now. Get back to the real sketch world. And I want to perform in clubs. And I'm, I'm afraid that 15 years, 20 years from now, our club's going to be like just home to celebrities who aren't even comedians and like angry right-wing white guys. Like and I, I don't – because we're, we're getting we're, – we're, we're elevating more and more people as entertainers because they do like 60 seconds of something on, on a phone. It's just, I don't know. I, I, I don't feel good about the future of, of comedy just as a business. It, it feels, you know, and I'm not saying this to critique any one side or any one opinion, as I've clearly stated both sides. I'm not usually, I'm not a both sides person in politics often because I think the right wing has been so, you know, 95% of the problem in our, in our country in the last uh, three decades. But in comedy, I think it really is a both sides issue. You're either trying to tear someone down or you're trying to make somebody feel good about supporting you. But when does comedy become the priority? Um, but yeah, whatever. That's my comedy gripe. So let's talk about Margate City, where the comedy sucks and the people aren't pretty. Um, 
so I got booked uh, last year. <clears throat> and disclaimer, grateful for the booking in terms of somebody having confidence in me and liking my material online. But what often happens in private gigs is people sort of think, this is a celebrity uh, of some note. A lot of my friends liked his videos. How cool would it be if I had him show up to our party, our annual summer party, and like do some stand-up and some impressions? That would blow people away. But, of course, comedy is one of those things that's best when everybody's attention is on the person in a comfortable setting with some alcohol flowing, etc. That's why comedy clubs do comedy the way they do it. But I was asked last year if I could do their party last summer, and I said, uh, no, I'm not doing shit. There's a pandemic, by the way. Not sure if you're aware. So they said, okay, understood. Then they contacted me in November and said, would we be able to book you for our party next summer? And I said, oh, yeah, well, by then there should be vaccine and all that stuff. So um, I agreed. And then several months into 2021, they gave me the uh, the date, August 20th, uh, 2021, a date that will live in infamy. I said, great. <clears throat> I charged them what I thought was uh, definitely fair um, amount, but a nice, a nice little, one, a nice one day payday, but, but certainly not, I, I probably could have asked for more, but you know, I was being humble. And, uh, so I say to the righteous girlfriend, I go, can you borrow your brother's car? Let's go down to this gig. Uh, we thought about staying in Atlantic city, but her brother's family needed the car back the next morning and Atlantic city hotel rooms, uh, on Friday nights, very expensive. So we decided, eh, we'll just drive back. And it was going to be her doing the driving. So much appreciated. Um, so, ooh, I'm getting that insomnia headache. Might have to take a nap after this. As you can tell, I've been very Jeb Bush low energy this episode. But hopefully you've enjoyed some of the content. Not afraid of sounding like a depressed, tired person. Um, so we drive down. We hit some traffic. It takes about two and a half hours to get to Margate City. And I'm noticing all the it's, – it's like this, you know, it's right, right next to Atlantic City. It's like a quaint little beach town, um, very white. So uh, I, I looked in a mirror and I was the only partial person of color in the town that I saw. And uh, we stopped at this restaurant. Righteous girlfriend was like, oh, I'm going to go here. So we got it. I had a mediocre piece of salmon and some horrible broccoli rob. And, uh, you know, went over my set and said, let's do this. But as we were passing a lot of these houses, I said, this is weird. The guy said um, there'd be like 60 people at the house for this party. Um, you know, he gave me all this info on different people at the party, like in terms of possible roast targets. Um, I said, like a gentle roasting. That sometimes helps with like, private parties, especially when I'm doing these, some of these impressions, it, it helps make it more centered on people rather than like, everybody stop what you're doing and focus on this one person. If it's more interactive, that can sometimes help keep people's attention. So I've done enough things like this where I, I at least have some techniques that I think can work. Um, so every comment was sort of like, uh, hates Trump. This person hates Trump. This person we think is secretly a Trump fan. This person hates Trump, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay. I mean, even though I'm in South Jersey, maybe this is like a left leaning crowd. Um, but so I prepped a set that was going to incorporate like four or five impressions and then like a decent amount of stand up. So my plan was to do 45 minutes, but I'm looking at these houses. I'm like 60 people. And, and I was going to be performing in the backyard by the pool. So I'm thinking to myself, oh, well, this is going to be a big-ass house. Like, you can't do stand-up. Like, 60 people in a pool, that's, that's a lot of space. So that might make sense. That might be a good, good spacing for a backyard show. So I get to the house, and I'm like, all right, well, the pool's in the back. I don't know what the pool is situation is, but uh, um, it's a nice house. It's a really nice house. It's a good-sized house, but not a ton of property around the house, like every other house I was passing by. And I was like, okay. So I go up to the bathroom. He probably thinks I'm doing coke. I said, I just need to use the bathroom and put my contacts in. He goes, sure, sure, go upstairs, blah, blah, blah. So put my contacts in, make my way down the stairs, and they're looking to get me on earlier than expected. So I already hear the guy sort of doing an intro for me. And before the intro, and, and by the way, the pool, and this is not a knock. It's, it was a very nice backyard, but it's the kind of pool where you like sit in and you relax. It like it was it was like like a physical therapy sized pool, not like a doing laps pool or like every and 
everybody's standing around it and there's not a lot of room. Um, so I like, he, he announces I'm coming out, but he gives this disclaimer, like, remember everybody, this isn't about politics. This is about fun. And I was like, Oh, Oh, I think we've got like a 50% plus MAGA crowd here. So then the violinist or DJ starts playing. Uh, there was a violinist and a DJ. They start playing um, Hail to the Chief. And I shimmy my way through the crowd, um, which takes longer than expected because it was extremely crowded around a tiny pool. So then I get to the DJ booth and I'm standing next to the DJ. And I give like a little cut the music, thank you. And they just sort of stare at me. I was like, the music, yeah, cut it, okay. And then I was like, oh, okay, yes, yes, okay. And then I decide, uh, let me go into a couple of impressions real quick to try and get these people on my side. And it just didn't feel like it was working. Now, what's funny is in this crowd, after about 10 minutes, half the crowd stopped paying attention and started talking. But there was a table of two nice-looking young women and a guy they were kind of focused on me and laughing. Like I looked at them and felt like you guys look like like a group of people that go to comedy clubs because they were laughing at most of what I said, jokes and impressions. Then there was a guy who says he's going to come to my Philly recording uh, who is a super fan. Like he watches all the videos. He was like asking like questions. Like he was like asking questions of the characters when I opened it up to Q&A. But he was like a diehard fan. And that was very cool. And I think it was like cool. Like he was one of the people that like they kept it secret from because it was like, oh, my God, that's the guy who's like made this. And I had several people come up to me and say like, um, you know, you were so great this year. Thank you so much. Really nice to have you here. Majority of the people seemed ranging from indifferent to I don't like this guy to what the fuck is he doing here? Um, I did say to one guy, you look like who Roger Stone thinks he sees when he looks in the mirror. He looked like, like a jacked old cool Roger Stone, if that makes any sense. And that got some laughs, but most people didn't laugh. Um, there was a moment where I asked, I was doing my Mike, oddly enough, my Mike Lindell impression, which I'm very proud of seemed to offend the most. And then I said something about like, I have a, my pillow, actually, I, I had a neck injury and my girlfriend actually bought it for me. But then little did I know it, he would be a total, uh, a total uh, nutcase. And it felt like that. Let me tell you something. When you, you know, you're in enemy territory, when Mike Lindell jokes seem to make the crowd uncomfortable, um, they respond let me, like, if that's if that's who you stand up for and think it like, and then I said, does anybody have a, my, a, my pillow here and a table of four, like two young people or three young people, maybe a parent or something. We're all like, yeah, we do. And I, I, in my head, I was like, Oh wow. This was like halfway through my set, but I was like, Oh boy, when you answer, do you have a, my pillow with a, of course, douchebag, we have my pillows. We're American type tone you're fucked. And so I made some people laugh. I made some people happy. The majority of the crowd definitely didn't like me, definitely found me to be like intrusive. And I guess a lib cuck, even though I steered clear mostly of politics, but it was, uh, it was, it was an incredibly rough show. I felt like jumping in the pool with the microphone and seeing if I could end it all. Um, and I felt like, the hosts were, were not happy with me. It wasn't that it, it was just like, I don't know if they were unhappy with me or if they just learned a lesson that so many people learn each year, which is, yeah, under not good conditions, a, a stand-up comedy show doesn't really work. Now, if they wanted me to be there, like I, in other words, I felt like I was brought on, the, the vibe was like I was brought on to do a five-minute toast at the party, but I was there to do 45 minutes of comedy. I probably did like 38 minutes. And one the, 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 the wife, the host, um, was just sort of creeping up uh, on me and was basically there to like give me the hook Apollo style. Um, they paid me, and we just got the fuck out of the house. And um, yeah, it was... Uh, the I thought about like the Mar Margate of Margates of Hell could have been uh, an episode title, but I don't. The thing is, I am appreciative of people who are fans and wanted to book me, and it just didn't work. 
Some of my jokes, I sort of forgot. I didn't forget like mid joke. I just forgot my set list because I was so thrown off by the, it felt like I was intruding, like literally physically, it felt like I was intruding. Like I had to bump, like I had to walk by like 30 people just to get to this little patch in front of the pool. It was just, it was as bad a setup for comedy as possible. Um, I think I was a little shaken, you know? I mean, basically, when you're doing impressions that people love you for, and then most people aren't laughing, and then you do bits, and then you only see, like, a handful of people who are clearly the comedy fans laughing, so you can at least say, okay, this isn't on me. Like, the jokes are working with the people who like stand-up comedy. It just so happens that less than 15% of this crowd likes stand-up comedy. I walked people. It was just, it was just like, because it was, it was the kind of vibe where it was like, we're all standing here. Like very few people had seats. So it was like, are we really going to stand here for 38 to 45 minutes for this guy? We think we recognize from Twitter to just do stand up and mock our president and the great Mike Lindell. I don't think so. So yeah, it felt, uh, it was rough. That's all I can say. It was, it was definitely rough. And, uh, you know, it was one of those moments where you go, you know, sometimes it's just not worth the money. And you always say yes. You always say yes. But, but it's like I've done private gigs where I've been nervous and then they ended up being great because it was just at least it was a crowd there for comedy and it was a crowd. It was a setup for a comedy. This was just more like I was – it felt more like I was being called out to do a toast. Um, that, like 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 – I wasn't called to do a toast, but it was like, that would have been the successful thing. And then of course, as soon as I started talking, somebody, a genius said, you need the red tie and suit. And I was like, ah, yes, yes. Uh, well, I put on too much weight during COVID. So if I were in a suit right now, I'd be, uh, I'd be very sweaty and have to jump into the pool. Um, and then just sarcasm was totally lost on most of the crowd, but it was, it was, you never, when you're a, when you're an impersonator with some integrity, you never want to be brought on stage with a caveat of, remember, folks, it's not politics, it's fun. And I wish I had gotten on stage right away and said, no, it's politics. <laughs> and if you support Trump, you're a piece of shit. Um, but yeah, I think it was, it's, it's just, I've never been in front of a place that felt like sort of 30% pro Mike Lindell. That, that's a weird feeling. Um, so maybe that's why they like the Mitch McConnell impression because Mitch McConnell is, uh, you know, a, a betrayer of Trump in their minds. Maybe that's why they laughed at certain impressions. They didn't laugh at the Don Jr. Um, they did laugh initially at the Trump and the Cuomo. Um, but all in all, it was, uh, it went horribly. And, uh, I don't think it wasn't, it was pretty cool in Margate city, but I can tell you that underneath my shirt, I really didn't stop sweating for 45 minutes because it just felt like work and tension for the whole time. But, um, other than that, it was a, it was a real blessing to, to go. Uh, so the righteous girlfriend drove a total of four and a half hours in one night. Um, and, uh, we got home at 11.30 because we, we were out of there earlier than expected and there was no lingering. There was a, just a couple of chit-chats and then we got the fuck out of there. Because um, here's the other problem. I'm not five foot five where I could like blend into a crowd or hide. Like I am a lighthouse. So if, if you just witnessed that and thought I was funny, great. But if you're like most people and witnessed it and thought at best that was awkward and at worst that guy should be uh, lynched at a MAGA rally – um, it was hugely uncomfortable. So I had to get out of there because I feel like I just stood above everybody and I was like, Oh, there he is. He's still here. Yikes. Um, so, uh, like I said, I mean, no disrespect to the people who booked it. I am appreciative. I wish it had turned out better. It was not an ideal format for comedy and didn't feel like an ideal cr crowd for comedy, but people, you know, when you get a little famous, I guess it seems cool to get somebody who was kind of a big deal in 2020. And like I said, several people offered real gratitude for, for what I was doing. And a few people did tell me they, they enjoyed the set, 
which was nice. The people who I could see were enjoying it. The, the women with the guy and uh, the super fan and a couple of couples. But most people seemed like, the you know, oh, why is this person trespassing on our property? <laughs> and why is he talking about our pre still our president so nastily? So that was uh, Margate City. And I guess I would have been telling this with more energy if I wasn't dealing with insomnia. But I think I may take a nap now uh, on a Monday morning. <laughs> Because uh, I need my energy, folks. Not afraid of sleeping during a work day. So that's uh, your recap. That's your, uh, your whole week. We had, uh, you really ran the gamut of everything. Recommendations, critiques, show recaps, and show announcements. So thank you for listening. I am super tired. I hope this wasn't as low energy as it felt, but it might have been. But uh, yes, if you're still listening, please give the show five stars on Apple Podcasts. Let's get some more reviews up. I'd like to get to 200. I'm at like 157 right now. So come on, just do the right thing. Even if you listen to this on another site, get, uh, get on Apple and give it a nice review. And uh, be sure to sign up for my monthly newsletter. And if you are anywhere near Greensboro, North Carolina, Philadelphia, PA, Raleigh, North Carolina, New York City, Salt Lake City, Los Angeles, Chicago, uh, Detroit, all the places I'm trying to get bookings for the end of this year and the beginning of next year. So if, if you're just listening to this, make sure that you're signed up for my newsletter because um, it helps and it, uh, you know, don't rely on social media. Um, obviously, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you're going to hear the announcements, but it can't hurt in case you're just a once in a while listener to be signed up for my newsletter because for me, the most important thing is that people come to shows. That's what I'm in this for to build my live show and stand-up career. Um, I, I made more money on Cameo than I ever did in comedy, but I'm, I didn't get into this to be a, cam, a webcam girl. So, uh, again, sorry for dragging this on, but thank you for listening. Have a great week. If you haven't gotten vaccinated, please go get vaccinated, and I will see you next Tuesday. Uh -huh.